Well, Nehemiah chapter 12, if you would turn. You know, the, we've, we've seen this revival break out starting in chapter 8. And you got to remember, Persia is still in charge. Rubble is still seen throughout the city, even though those walls have been rebuilt. So their world is still in disarray as well. Sanballat and the Samaritans and all the, all the other enemies that surround them, they haven't gone away. So you got to remember that, I think, as we read this to realize, yeah, uh, they too were facing great adversity as a people of God, and yet they stand fast. And in chapter 27, we finally come to the dedication of the wall. Don't you wonder why they didn't do that at the end of the 52 days? Because they needed a change of heart. They went, remember the, the scriptures are read, the law, there's a repentance, and, and Nehemiah says, don't mourn yet, let's celebrate the festival. Then we can mourn, and then there's the mourning, and we rehearse that where they, they recognize that they belong to a sinful lot because they are humans, and, and, and because the Israelites time and time again had forsaken the Lord. And they called for the Lord for mercy. And now they come to here. And now we can dedicate the wall. And so in verse 27 it says. At the dedication of the wall. 1227 of Jerusalem. The Levites were sought from all the places that lived. To bring them to Jerusalem. To celebrate the dedication joyfully. Watch that word. With songs of thanksgiving. And songs accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. I mean they're breaking out. I mean this is, you know, this is a jam session. Here it is, right? The singers were also assembled. And literally, it's the son of the singers. It, it's probably um, a guild, kind of an idea. So these are musicians among the Levites. Were assembled from the district around Jerusalem, from the settlements. And then you have a list here of the, and we don't know exactly where the settle, these settlements are. This first one is probably just south of Bethlehem. And from Bethgal, which is probably near Jericho. And from the fields of Geba. And again, these we're not sure exactly where these towns are located. Which isn't always the case uh, in the Old Testament. But uh, the burden of proof is to show they don't exist. And I believe they do. It's just we're not, we don't have, we're not privy to the locations. The singers had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites purified themselves, they purified the the people, the gates, and the wall. I, this is Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up to the wall, and I pointed two large thanksgiving choirs. I love this. One was to proceed on the top of the wall southward towards the dung gate. That's unfortunate. And going after them, and there's a laundry list of names, and it says in verse 36, and his colleagues, and another laundry list with musical instruments of David, the man of God. Now Ezra the scribe, remember him? He read the scriptures, led them. They went over the fountain gate and continued directly to the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall. And they passed the house of David, which would have been in ruins, no doubt. And by the way, I can take you to Jerusalem. It wasn't until 2005 that, that uh, the great house was found. Uh, Eliot Mazar believes it is David's palace. Some of the more liberal 
Jewish scholars and Christian archaeologists don't think so, but I do. There's plenty of evidence to state it is David's palace. They passed the house of David and continued to the water gate with Richard Nixon towards the east. <laughs> the second uh, choir was proceeding in the opposite direction. You get this idea, and it says where they went. The ovens to the broad wall, the Ephraim gate, the Jesenah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundreds, the sheep gate. They stopped at the gate of the guard. <laughs> the two choirs that gave thanks took their stations in the temple of God. I did also, along with half the officials with me. And he lists them. It says, then the choir sang loudly. And on that day, they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced, for God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Probably all the way up to Samaria, at least the outskirts, all the surrounding enemies are hearing this celebratory because we're told the trumpets were involved as well later. So let's, let's unpack this very powerful scene. It's just, it, it's glorious. I want to show you a few things as we go along. Just a reminder, I think we all know this now, we've been looking at the theology of Nehemiah as we move through God's sovereign hand, people are called to remain faithful, and third, God's full restoration is yet to come. Again, this is Nehemiah's wall that was built around the city. I can show you ruins of it today if we were in Jerusalem. Most of it's located right here in this region uh, that you can find uh, remnants of Nehemiah's wall. Uh, again, Hezekiah's wall would have been way out here, by the way, for those of you. if we're And the current walls of Jerusalem, uh, if the walled city are from the time of Suleiman the Magnificent, which are Muslim walls, they do not include any of this section. His wall goes this way and around. So, um, in fact, there are two tombstones by Jaffa Gate inside the city walls. And uh, it dates from the time of Suleiman. And the story is that those were the two engineers. And when Suleiman came to inspect, uh, he realized that the idiots hadn't walled this section up. And so he killed them. He beheaded them and buried them by Jaffa Gate. So that's a little trivia. That was free. Anyway, we move along. So what we see in this first scene in the dedication of the wall, joy is mentioned. It's mentioned at the beginning of this section. It's mentioned at the end of the section, which is vital. It reminds me of the Gospel of Luke. It begins with joy. It ends with joy. It, joy is, if you were to do a little study of that term, it, it's tied with God's activity. God's, and it has an eschatological overtone, really. And, and that's kind of what's being brought out here. And so we see the manner that, he, that uh, Nehemiah spells out. He also tells us who. Who leads this charge? The Levites, the priest, right? There's another group, which I'll highlight in a minute. But the priests play a vital role in this. Uh, and then third, we see that they worship, and the manner in which they do this uh, dedication is through song. And I mentioned there in your notes, harps and lyres were instruments. That I showed you a picture here of which you would carry with you. Um, it's not the most... Um, exciting instrument today, but uh, you can go online, by the way, on YouTube, and you can hear what these instruments sounded like. It's fascinating. I was going to play one, but I thought, well, you can do that on your own. And we know later in verse 35 that trumpets were involved as well. And notice what the text says. 
They did this with songs of thanksgiving. And then later, we're told in verse 31 that the choirs were thanksgiving choirs. So uh, the, the pilgrims didn't start thanksgiving. So here it is, right? Uh, a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration that's entailed here. And again, uh, the singers are seen with the text. Any question on, on this portion of it, the dedication of the wall, it's setting the scene for us. Again, done with joy, led by the priest, and it's done in a manner of great worship service. Yes? There was a, a very, very close comparison to this first verse with uh, Psalm 149. Very, right at the beginning, the, 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 it talks about Thanksgiving. Yeah, there, music. there is two major psalms that we're going to look Well, that would have been one we could have looked at. Uh, music plays a vital role in Israel's history and in the early church. So, uh, and we could talk more on that, but you, you look at, uh, we've been studying Colossians. Colossians 3.16 says that how do you admonish and instruct others? It's through the word and it's through music. That's why the lyrics are important. That's why you need to be able to hear the lyrics. If you can't hear the lyrics when the music's playing, that's a problem. Because that's what's driving the instruction, etc. Uh, anyway, I'm starting to meddle and preach, so we'll go on. Verse 30 tells us that the priests and the Levites began a purification. And you go, okay, I understand purification of the people, which probably entailed a baptism. But how do you purify walls and gates? <laughs> probably similar to what is seen. And I give you a text there at the bottom of your notes. Or no, at the next page of the notes. Excuse me. I think I did. Maybe I didn't. Um, no, Nehemiah 4.3. No, 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 no. Leviticus 14, excuse me. Leviticus 14, this is the bottom of page 1, talks about there's a ceremony that is involved of sprinkling the, the walls and the gate. And so that's probably what this idea is of, of that, the, that these, similar to the houses that were cleansed back in the, the Pentateuch, is how this idea is that the walls and the gates are purified. And so, after that is processed, notice that in verse 31, as we go, the crowd is taken to the top of the walls. So, it tells us what about the walls? I'm sorry? They've got to be large enough for people to walk on them. Now, that doesn't have to be too large. You can walk the walls of Jerusalem today, at least portions of them. Wide enough to walk, yes, and they are strong enough. Remember in Nehemiah 4, which is the text I have in your notes, when Tobiah, the Ammonite, tries to, to make fun of the Israelites, he says, you know, if, if a fox walked on top of the wall that you're building, it would crumble. Well, I guess that's not true, because you've got a group of Israelites now who are breaking out in song, uh, maybe not dancing a whole lot on those walls, but they, nonetheless, they are walking on them. And so here we see this. Now on the next page, we're told again that I, I mentioned this Thanksgiving choir. And in fact, I love what Kidner states. By calling them a Thanksgiving choir, it's that they embody that which they sing. And that's the idea. Now, there is a chart which is at the bottom of your notes. And let me just highlight a couple things as we look at this. Here is a layout of Nehemiah's city. We know they're starting at the valley gate. This is the same location that Nehemiah started at. Remember when he came and he 
when he first arrived in Jerusalem, he didn't tell anyone and he inspected at night the, the city walls and the gates. He started here. And this is where they're going to meet. So they meet at the valley gate and one group is going to go southbound, right? Who leads that group, by the way? What's the text say? I heard it. Ezra. Ezra leads the first group, all right? So the first choir is going southbound. It says they go to the Dung Gate, which is way down here. They'll, they'll pass David's palace. And David's palace <clears throat> is right about here. And this is interesting. Eliot Mazar, a lot of scholars thought that David's palace was up what we call the Ophel. It's the rise going up into the Temple Mount area. And Eliot Mazar, based on another text and this passage, she said, no, 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 no. It has to be before the water gate. It has to be here in this region. And uh, she was spot on. She was right when she found it, the large um, structure, it's called by some. So they got the water gate. They come up most likely through this region. And right here sits the temple. All right, so they're right outside the temple. Is The red dot is going to be the meeting zone. The next group goes northbound. Who leads it? Nehemiah? Who leads the second group? The choir. Where's Nehemiah? This is the great leader. This is the guy who, who came and got this thing done. He's following. He's not too big for his britches. He understands the purpose of all of this was to glorify the Lord and allow the Levites to lead. I and mean, this is huge, right? He doesn't need the airtime. <laughs> There's so many lessons here about leadership, it's crazy. Nehemiah is not leading the pack. He's behind. Now, he initially led it because he says in verse 31, I brought the leaders of Judah up. But when we get to verse 38, he says, I followed them. I allowed them to lead. Ownership. I mean, there's so many issues that we could talk about here. This is theirs. This is to give glory to God. It's not about me. He sits back and he allows them to lead. And they go northbound. It says <clears throat> they go to the sheep gate. And then if you see, it says the gate of the guards, I think it is. Look at verse. This is a little confusing. Yeah, gate of the guards in verse 39. We don't know exactly where this is. There's a couple problems here. There's been so much destruction in Jerusalem. And, you know, as you know, the Dome of the Rock, the, the Muslims control the Temple Mount, per se. And they've done a ton of damage trying to cover up any Jewish remains of the Second Temple, let alone the First Temple. And the destruction has been great and the cover-up. And so, consequently, there's been no excavation here to, to try to figure out where are some of these gates. But some argue it's the muster gate. Either way, I believe it's somewhere in this vicinity that they come. And so both choirs are doing what? What are they doing? If one's going this way and one's going this way, what have they done? They've walked the city walls. Right? As they have given glory to God in song, thanksgiving, praise for what he has done. I bet you there's a few tears being shed. As they're reflecting what went in, was involved in these last 52 days to build these walls. There's the stones that I put in. 
I helped with that gate. <laughs> As they move through and then they meet of all places. Where do they meet? What's the text say in verse 40? They gave thanks and took their stations where? In the temple of God. It's so powerful. So you have these two groups that are moving around and you have that map that is there in your notes and you can... Questions on the direction or on this aspect of it? Again, if I... Forgive me for doing this. This is... I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it. So you can see. Here's the, here stands the water gate over here. Here's David's palace where it would have stood at, the, at that time frame. We're meeting here at the valley gate. One goes this way, one goes this way, and they come around and meet. Probably they go up and meet here is what the idea is. Uh, today, if you were to go to Jerusalem, you won't see, again, these walls. You can visit David's palace. You go to the ruins. But right over here is the Wailing Wall, or what we call it. They call it the Western Wall. But... Uh, you see that in pictures, and the Dome of the Rock sits right where that temple is. All right? So it kind of helped visualize what you're looking at today. So let me go back. Go back to that map that you have. One of the questions I had as we look at this text, and um, because of time, I'm just going to fill it in, but I said, observe the important details in this section. The section being verses 32 through 39. There's a laundry list of names. There's one name that occurs three times. Who is it? Don't miss this. Who, which name occurs three times? I'll give you a clue. Well, yes. <laughs> Thank you. There is Judah. Is it three or two for Judah? There's, there's a man named Judah, but the tribe of Judah, which we'll get to in a minute, the tribe of Judah is mentioned, I think, two times. I may be wrong on that one. There's a man, though, is mentioned. He's mentioned in verse 37, actually 36 and 37. Who is he? David. Which tribe gives us the king? The Messiah is from the tribe of Judah. Notice, go to the text. Bear with me for a second. Look what it says. Nehemiah says, I brought the leaders, verse 31, of Judah. And yet the Levites are leading. Judah's involved. And then you have the city of David, the instruments of David, the man of God, the city of David, and you have the house of David. What a strange way to refer to that. Turn to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. This is key of what's happening here, I believe. This is Hophaditz. And by the way, well, we'll get to that in a second. Turn to 2 Samuel 7. I'll show you something else in the text. I think that's going on. You remember, God made a covenant with Abraham. And that was rehearsed through Israel's history. And I would argue it's still holding fast today. Uh, the, the covenant made with Abraham. He also made a covenant with David. Remember this? It's in 2 Samuel 7, verse 10. The Lord declares to you, David, that he himself will build what? A house for you. It, I do not think it's a coincidence that in Nehemiah chapter 12, when they walk those walls, the house of David is reiterated. Why? 
God is faithful to his people. He will keep his promise. And I told you one of the theological threads in this book is that there's yet restoration that we are looking forward to. The walls are not fully it. We're looking for something else. We're looking for the restoration to the house of David. Notice what the covenant also states. When the time comes for you to die, I will rise up for you a descendant, one of your own sons to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. I will make his dynasty permanent. I will become his father and he will, I will honor my son. Verse 16, look at this. Your house, your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. Now go back to Nehemiah. What do you have here going on? I think this is distress. No, God has made a covenant with David. And it's being rehearsed, I think, in this event. And, and, and let me give you further evidence for my claim. There's only one man listed in the laundry lists that's given here in 12 where we have his, his uh, genealogy. Notice it says in verse 35, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan. And you go through this list and he's ultimately the son of who? Who's he the son of? Asaph. No, no, no. Asaph. Who is Asaph? He led the worship for King David. Do, 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 do. This is huge. You, you, you don't miss this. I, I, there aren't, I read a ton of commentaries, uh, probably 10, on Nehemiah. Very few even highlighted the connection with David. It's very significant. Asaph is here. He is the worship leader for David. And then David's house is mentioned there as they pass the house of David. That thing is in ruins. There's no way the Babylonians left that house standing. That was the palace. If an empire invades the U.S., the White House will not be standing, I assure you. If they were successful in 9-11, a lot of it wouldn't have been standing, right? So the house wasn't standing. It was in ruins. <laughs> But they walked past that sucker and it was a reminder. God made a covenant with David. He has not forgotten it. And Nehemiah knew that as well. That is why he, there's no coincidence that he says in verse 31, I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall. <laughs> Ooh, that's great stuff when you miss it, when you read through it first and it's like, it's there. I'm not reading into this text. And in verse 32, again, we highlight going after them. And then you have half the leaders of Judah. I mean, they're playing a key role in this event. Why? Because God made a covenant with David and he has not forgotten it. And they, uh, the people know this as well. On the top of page three, I write, these names were significant because they reminded the people and us of a continuity of leadership, a continuity that we see in all of God's word. Persia still may be on the throne. The ruins are everywhere still there. I remember going to Leipzig um, in 1990. And you could still see homes, uh, buildings uh, that were standing in rubble. This is after, after World War II. Still in ruins. The, 
so you can assure, I can assure you, there are rebels everywhere. There's rock everywhere. I probably used a lot of it to build the walls up, but it's still all around them. And, and the enemy is still outside. <laughs> and, 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 and rehearsing this is like, no, God, you're on the throne. And we will not forget this. And I love that the temple serves as the focal point in verses 40 and 42 of this, this group that, that maneuvers. Now, I want you to turn. Well, you don't have to turn here. Let me read to you Psalm 48. You mentioned another Psalm. Uh, Doug, but look at Psalm 48. Walk about Zion. That's Jerusalem. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is our God. Our God forever and ever, and He will guide forevermore. You struggling right now? I know I am. I need to, to walk around Zion, <laughs> figuratively. This is literal. One of the things I, I love to do when I take groups to Jerusalem is to try, we try to make sure we take them through every gate. And these are not the same gates as the time of Nehemiah. Doesn't matter. But then to rehearse. <laughs> You, you don't forget your God. You, and I would have people that would literally walk around the, the city of David. Uh, they missed the tour bus in the morning, but so be it. But they've walked around the, the city walls. And, and, and I tell them, when you do that, read Psalm 48. <laughs> Reflect on this. This psalm was written before the time of Nehemiah. I can't help but think this might be one of the songs they were singing. Re rehearsing, yes. Our God will guide us. He keeps his word, right? That's true then. It's true in the 400 BCs. It's true in 2020. God keeps his word. The Lord may not need America anymore. He may not need our specific church. He's concerned about the church, big C, and he's concerned about his people being faithful. That's what he does need. Right? And it's there. It's in the text. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Count, count the citadels. This is it. Well, in verse 43, no wonder they break out in joy again. And five times the word joy is used. Isn't that great? Joy. Five times. In fact, even says at one point, great joy. Great sacrifices were made. This is it. And I love everyone's involved. This isn't just for the frozen chosen Levites, right? Or the tribe of Judah. Look what the text tells us. You got women and children involved in this sucker. Why? Because you're going to tell the next generation. Heaven help us if we're not taking the kids along saying, I want you to see this. I want you to see God's hand in this, right? And if... if, if those of you who have children or grandchildren, now is the time to remind them. Because they're struggling too. Their social network has crashed and burned, you know. Uh, yeah. our, our daughter loves virtual learning. My son hates it. <laughs> uh, he misses playing basketball with the guys. Now there's a lot that, that, that's been hindered. Uh, help them to still see that God's in charge. God's in the throne. Yep. Gary. I'm just going to say uh, that uh, we just survived eight years of a godless man with Obama. God's still on the throne. God's on the throne, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, God's still on the throne, right? 
Let me give you some things to walk with today. Number one, and this is all reference to joy. Joy is God-centered. If we get it from ourselves, it's not going to last. In fact, Galatians 5, what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? is joy. It comes from the Spirit, right? Joy stems from the gracious hand of our Lord. Let me give you another. Joy comes in remembering God's faithfulness. Why do you think those Israelites can rejoice? Because they see God's continual hand, not just in building the, 50, the walls in 52 days. Because to be quite honest, if they weren't trusting the Lord, they'd realize those walls really mean, are meaningless. They could be busted through tomorrow. The Persians could come in and take it all down. Just as easy as it was built, it could easily be destroyed. That's not the point, right? Third, joy accompanies gratitude. Gratitude to the Lord should always flow from the lips of believers. And the text that should have been, not as Hosea 6, but Colossians 4. You look at the prayers of Paul. You want an interesting study this week. Read the prayers of Paul and his letters and notice how many times he refers to gratitude or thankfulness. It's amazing. It's loaded. I mean, look at Colossians 4 too. It's, uh, look at this text. It's not a coincidence as he's, he looks through this. Colossians 4, 2. It says, be devoted to prayer, keeping alert with what? Thanksgiving. There it is, right? Be in prayer, but be in thanksgiving. We have a lot to thank the Lord for. Even in the midst of all this, we have a lot to thank the Lord for. Uh, two more. Joy is not dependent on our outward circumstances, right? Um, I'm not very happy when my bowl of ice cream is half gone, but that doesn't determine my joy, right? The joy is I have ice cream. Uh, while the Israelites might be rejoicing, let's not forget they're still under authority of the Persian Empire. Paul, in a prison epistle in Rome, possibly facing death under Nero, which was far worse than any president we have had, writes rejoice, and again I say rejoice, which is amazing, right? So the circumstances should not dictate our joy, especially if it's coming from the fruit of the Spirit, right? And then finally, joy serves as a testimony of our God. As Chuck Swindoll aptly writes in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, even for all the money and equipment spent and used today to deliver the Christian message, there's still no TV station or radio tower or social media outlook, I might add, that can match the sending power of Christians exhibiting God's joy on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and that's where the church comes into play, doesn't it? There is a text that I absolutely love. It's found in Zephaniah. I know you had devotions there this morning, so if you could just turn back to it. Ze <laughs> Zephaniah, if you can find it. Zechariah, if you get to Zechariah. But Zephaniah, if you get to Zechariah, you've gone too far. Zephaniah 3. If you can't find it, just listen. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God. I want to leave you with this text as we don't convene back until December. I want you to reflect on this. Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love. He shouts for joy over you. Isn't that great? 
He's just shouting it over you. He's, he's exuding his love for you. As for those who grieve because they cannot attend the festivals or the men's Bible studies, I took them away from you. They became tribute with a source of shame to you. Look at the time. I will deal with those who mistreat you. I will rescue the, lamb, the lame sheep and gather together the scattered sheep. I will take their, away their humiliation. At that time, I will lead you. At the time, I will gather you together. Be sure of this. Be certain. I will make all the nations of the earth respect and admire you when you see me restore you, says the Lord. And I would argue that's been initiated through the coming of Christ who died on a cross, who gives us salvation through his name, right? And there's a day coming when he will return. And that final restoration will occur when he sits on the throne and reigns. And until then, bask in verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. Join those who walk around the walls of Jerusalem with great joy. Reflecting on, no, we have a Messiah. And God keeps his promises, right? Father, we come to you and we thank you. These ancient words nestled in the pages of scripture recounting a story from long ago of names we can't even pronounce. We go, what, what in the world? What's going on here? But as we further examine, we recognize, ah, no. We see once again your hand of deliverance. We see once again your greatness, your faithfulness to your word. Once again, we see how you deliver your people in times of great difficulty, in times where hope seems to be fleeting, the world seems to be winning, the walls are caving in, yet you're in charge. And we can celebrate, even in the midst of great adversity, that you, oh God, are our God. You're a covenant God, and you've allowed us to enter into a new covenant through your son, Jesus Christ, who came, he died on a cross, he paid the price for our sin, and that salvation is available to anyone who calls upon his name. It's not something we do, it's simply responding to that message and, and repenting of our sin. And Lord, we are so grateful that we are yours. So today, may we figuratively walk the walls. <laughs> may we reflect as we go by the dung gate, the water gate, all of these areas, Lord, where work has been accomplished in your name. May we rejoice because you God Almighty, the God of the universe, the great I am, are our Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.